One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And today, we're heading to the stars. Not on Broadway, but up in space, baby. And we're talking about one of the Star Wars games that really set, one, Bioware, and two, Star Wars, kind of on that head to making some amazing steps in the gaming universe and that kind of set up the standards to for bioware to eventually set up dragon age to eventually set up mass effect and their future games i was gonna say i think that we've gone to the stars before one of the very first episodes that i did as a part of this podcast was mass effect it may have been the very first one i don't even remember but yeah, I mean, Bioware has these really cool games where it's a game that feels like your choices actually matter. So you have mm-hmm. a game like Knights of the Old Republic, obviously an IP that everyone loves, at least mostly everyone that is cool loves. And you also sort of get this stepping stone game that a lot of people feel like holds up very well. Now, I'll say just right off the bat, graphically, I don't think this game holds up very well at all. Sure. But if you can move past that, especially if you're someone that's played the game in the past, in the era that it was made, it's a little easier to look past that, in my opinion. And this game was just a lot of fun. Well, and and you see, they're taking on the idea that they had with Baldur's Gate and their Dungeons & Dragons license, because once they sold it, they're like, hey, let's take that same idea of like rolling a d20 taking it to chance with these characters, telling that type of story, but in a space world and getting especially a huge license like Star Wars to be their main property to start off kind of the snowball into, like you said, these story aspect games that will carry you on and where your choices do matter. Even if they don't to a little bit, they still carry on very much like their sequential games in Dragon Age and Mass Effect where the previous games will affect what happens in the one you're currently playing. And I think Star Wars is such a great IP to have these type of games where you can sort of explore Mm -hmm. the different things going around the galaxy far, far away because the movie is obviously very successful, but really focus on the dying aspect of the Jedis when there's all these other elements going on around them in the universe. And you get to really explore that Knights of the Old Republic. And you get to build this character out that could be basically whatever you want it to be. So sort of like a Star Wars fan's dream, I think, to really be a part of that universe in their own way. Yeah, that's exactly it. So let's get into it. Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, also known as KOTOR, is a role-playing video game set in the Star Wars universe. Developed by Bioware and published by LucasArts, It was released for the Xbox on July 19th, 2003, and for Windows on November 19th, 2003. It was ported to Mac, OS X, iOS, and Android by Aspire, and it is playable on the Xbox 360, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X and S via backwards compatibility. A Nintendo Switch version was released on November 11th, 2021. The story takes place almost 4,000 years before the formation of the Galactic Empire, where Darth Malak, a Dark Lord of the Sith, has unleashed a Sith Armada against the Galactic Republic. The player character, as a Jedi, 
must venture to different planets in the galaxy to defeat Malik. Players choose from three character classes, Scout, Soldier, or Scoundrel, and customize their characters at the beginning of the game and engage in round-based combat against enemies. Through interacting with other characters and making plot decisions, players earn light side and dark side points, which determines whether their character aligns with the light or dark side of the force. Knights of the Old Republic was directed by Casey Hudson, designed by James Olin and written by Drew Capershin. LucasArts proposed a game tied to the film Star Wars Episode II, Attack of the Clones, or a game set thousands of years before the prequels. The team chose the latter as they thought that they would have more creative freedom. Ed Asner, Ethan Phillips, and Jennifer Hale voiced the characters, while Jeremy Soule composed the soundtrack. Announced in 2000, the game was delayed several times before its release. Knights of the Old Republic received critical acclaim for its character, story, and sound. It was nominated for numerous awards and is often cited as one of the greatest video games ever made. And a sequel, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2, The Sith Lords, developed by Obsidian Entertainment at Bioware's suggestion, was released in 2004. The series story continued with the 2011 release of Star Wars The Old Republic, a MMO role-playing game developed by Bioware. In September 2021, a remake was announced to be in development by Aspire for Windows and the PlayStation 5. So a lot to go along with that. And if you haven't played The Old Republic, uh, which is definitely a fun game in its time, uh, I played that I think on the PlayStation, weirdly enough, at the time with a couple friends. And it was fun. It was definitely fun for what it was. But as we continue to build on the idea of these remakes, you know, there's been talks that we're still on the pathway in 2022 to kind of getting this game out is the hope. But let's move over to Bioware, which we've talked about before, but let's inform you once again. Bioware was founded by Ray Mazuka and Greg Zeschuk, alongside Trent Oster, his brother Brent, Zeschuk's cousin Marcel, and Augustine Yip. Of the founding team, Mazuka, Zeschuk, and Yip had recently graduated from medical school at the University of Alberta and had a background in programming for use in school. Together with Yip, they had created a medical simulation program. The three also played video games for recreation, eventually deciding to develop their own. Their success in the medical field provided them with the funding they needed to launch a video game company. To make their first game, they pooled their resources, which resulted in capital of about $100,000. The company was incorporated on February 1st, 1995, and formally launched on May 22nd of that year. Their first game, Shattered Steel, began its life as a proof-of-concept demo, similar to the MechWarrior games. This demo was submitted to 10 publishers, seven of whom returned to the company with an offer. A publishing deal for Shattered Steel was eventually signed with Interplay Entertainment. Brent Oster and Trent Oster left Bioware at the time to form Pyrotech Studios, which continued developing Shattered Steel, but broke up a year later with Trent returning to Bioware to finish the game. Bioware's first game was released the following year. Shattered Steel's release was described by IGN as a modest success with decent sales. Two noteworthy points were the deformable terrain, player weapon damage caused craters in the environment, and zone damage, well-aimed gunfire could shoot mounted weapons off of enemies. A sequel to Shattered Steel was planned for 1998, but never realized. BioWare's founders and staff were keenly interested in both computerized and pen-and-paper variants of role-playing games. Their next development project, therefore, was determined to be a role-playing game. And when Interplay financed exploratory development, BioWare presented the publishers with a demo called Battleground Infinity. Interplay suggested that the demonstrated gameplay engine would be well-suited to the Dungeons & Dragons license, which it had acquired from Strategic Simulations. Accordingly, Infinity was reworked in line with the Dungeons & Dragons rule set. The result was Baldur's Gate, with a development cycle of three years. During this time, the three doctors continued to practice medicine. The demands of development later prompted Mizuka and Zeshuk to leave medicine and move into full-time development. Augustine Yip decided to continue with his medical practice. Baldur's Gate sold more than 2 million copies after its release, nearly matching the sales of Diablo. And following the success of Baldur's Gate, the Infinity Engine was used for the games 
Plain Script Torment, and the Icewind Dale series. The success of Baldur's Gate was followed by an expansion pack for the game, Tales of the Sword Coast. At this point, Bioware decided to return to the action genre. The company's initial thought was to develop a sequel to Shattered Steel, but eventually a sequel to MDK from Shiny Entertainment was chosen for development. MDK was released on PC, Dreamcast, and eventually PlayStation 2, offering Bioware their first taste of developing games for consoles. MDK 2 drew the same level of praise as its predecessor, but despite the success, Bioware returned to the Baldur's Gate series for their next project. Baldur's Gate 2 Shadows of Om was released in 2000, two years after the release of Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate 2 sold 2 million copies, matching the sales of the first game in the series. However, the success of both Baldur's Gate 2 and MDK 2 was not enough to stabilize Interplay financially. Subsequently, Bioware began to work with Infogrames, which was later renamed to Atari. Neverwinter Nights was originally to be published by Interplay, but the company lost the license of the game to Atari and part of their Dungeons & Dragons license to Bioware. After selling their D&D license to Atari, Bioware developed Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, and Jade Empire. It had publishing relationships with Interplay Entertainment, Infogrames, under its new name Atari, LucasArts, and Microsoft. So again, such a cool story of just these doctors coming together saying like, hey, we developed these medical programs for schooling and for what we had to do, but honestly, our passionate heart it's crawling through them dungeons and slaying them dragons, baby. Except for Yip. Yip just, he loved medicine too much. Didn't care for the dragons. Yeah. You know, Yip yapped. That's what happens. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting to see working on those. And then coming off of that and making KOTOR and Jade Empire, which is a fantastic Xbox game. If you've never played it, it's a really, really cool fighting-esque adventure game um, that that, if we're looking at a remake, definitely deserves. But when it came to developing KOTOR, it was in July 2000 that Bioware announced that they were working with LucasArts to create a Star Wars role-playing video game for the PC and next-generation consoles. Joint Bioware CEO Greg Zushuk commented that, quote, the opportunity to create a richly detailed new chapter in the Star Wars universe is incredibly exciting for us. We are honored to be working with the extremely talented folks at LucasArts developing a role-playing game based upon one of the most high-profile licenses in the world. The game was officially unveiled as Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic at E3 2001. At this point, the game had been in development for around six months. Pre-production started in 2000, but the discussions started back in 1999, LucasArts' Mike Gallo set. The first actual emails were in October or November of 99. That's when we first started talking to Bioware but some really serious work finally started at the beginning of 2000. The decision to set the game 4,000 years before Star Wars Episode I, The Phantom Menace, was one of the first details about the game made known. LucasArts gave Bioware a choice of settings for the game. LucasArts came to us and said we could go do an Episode II game, Bioware CEO Raymond Mazuka said, or LucasArts said we could go 4,000 years back which is a period that's hardly been covered. Bioware chose to set the game 4,000 years before the films as it gave them greater creative freedom. They aimed to create content similar to that from the films, but different enough to be a definite precursor. Concept work had to be sent to the ranch to be approved for use. Mizuka noted that very little of their content was rejected, saying, quote, it was more like, can you just make this head like this rather than that? So it was all very feasible. There were good suggestions made, and they made the game better. So we were happy with them. It was a good process, really, and I think we were pleasantly surprised how easy LucasArts was to work with. And overall, we were really happy with the results. We felt like we had enough freedom to truly create something wonderful. And I feel like that's where the Star Wars video games can really sort of come into their own as these mm -hmm. unique takes on the Star Wars universe. You know, we have all these different things going on um, with source materials getting turned into movies and television shows. And sometimes 
they're straying on the wrong things, but with this vast universe of Star Wars where they're trying to set something up way before the events of the movies, they don't have to worry about stuff like that. And LucasArts not being super controlling about it and just probably reining them within like some core Star Wars elements ga- mm-hmm. gave them a lot of opportunity to create Knights of the Old Republic. Gallo said that BioWare and LucasArts were aiming for a gameplay time of around 60 hours. Quote, Baldur's Gate was 100 hours of gameplay or more. Baldur's Gate 2 was 200 hours. And the critical path playthrough Baldur's Gate 2 was 75 hours. We're talking smaller than that for Knights of the Old Republic. But even if it's 60% smaller, then it's still 100 hours. So our goal for gameplay time is 60 hours. We have so many areas that we're building. Worlds, spaceships, things like that to explore. So we have a ton of gameplay. Project director Casey Hudson said that one of the greatest achievements and one of the greatest risks was the combat system. Quote, We wanted to create something that combined the strategic aspects of our Baldur's Gate series and Neverwinter Nights, but which presented it through fast cinematic 3D action. That required us to make something that hadn't really been done before. Creating the system was a daunting task because of the many factors to cover, which were difficult to visualize. The developers intended to make the game have more open-ended gameplay. Gallo compared some situations to Deus Ex. You have several ways to get through an area, and you might need a character who has a specific skill to do that. LucasArts and BioWare settled on developing Knights of the Old Republic for the PC and Xbox. The Xbox was chosen over other consoles because of BioWare's background of developing PC games and greater familiarity with the Xbox than other consoles. And Gallows had this to say, we could do the things we wanted to do on the Xbox without as much effort as we'd need to do it on the PS2 or GameCube. Other factors included the console's recent success and the opportunity to release one of the Xbox's first RPGs. Bioware had previously developed MDK2 for the Dreamcast and PlayStation 2, working more in those ecospheres. So this is kind of like a whole new area and also just an easier development time. Hudson said that, quote, having experience developing for other consoles gave us the proper mindset for implementing this game on the Xbox. And by comparison, the Xbox was relatively easy to develop for. Hudson did, however, note that there were some challenges during development. One of the difficulties was in deciding how much graphical detail to provide. Since our games generally have a lot of AI and scripting, numerous character models, and huge environments, we stressed the hardware in a very different way than most games, Hudson said. This made it difficult to predict how well the game would run. The game uses the Odyssey engine, based on the Aurora engine, which was previously developed by BioWare for use in Neverwinter Nights, but completely rewritten for Knights of the Old Republic. It was highly detailed for its time. Grass waves in the wind, dust blows across Tatooine, and puffs of sand rise as the player walks across the seabed. The choreography for the character animations was done using 3DS Max. Hudson noted that the differences between consoles and PCs meant that the graphics would have to be modified. You typically play console games on a TV across the room while PC players are playing the games on a monitor only inches away. Console games put effort into close-up action and overall render quality. PC games emphasize what can be done with high resolutions and super sharp textures. Hudson also noted that the difference between a game controller and mouse and keyboard setup influenced some design decisions. The PC version featured an additional location the players can visit and more NPCs, items, and weapons. These additions were later made available on the Xbox version through Xbox Live. And the PC version supports higher display resolutions up to 1600 by 1200 and has higher resolution textures, which definitely makes sense when we're talking in terms of like developing for a PC, which has always mostly been a higher end console, if we want to call it that. And it does make sense talking about playing from your couch, you know, about what, 10 feet away or something versus being a foot and a half away from your monitor. 
Yeah, I don't know what Hudson's talking about here. I was glued to both the TV <laughs> and the computer monitors, trying to make myself go blind. True. got to get every little pixel. If I can't see the little screen, the, the little black lines on the TV back in the day, I'm not close enough. You're not wrong. But, You're not wrong. <laughs> but no, he's absolutely right. It is a really good thought process to have to to make sure that you are planning on making it accessible to mm-hmm. console gamers, but rewarding um, PC players sort of ahead of the time, I would say, almost. Because now everyone wants a PC to have those great graphical advantages and all the advantages that come with PC gaming. PC master yeah, racers it, know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm not one of them. It also allows the developers to kind of flex some muscles, being like, hey, we did create a whole other world. If this was just a console release, we probably would have had to cut it. But let's put it over here for now. And once we get into Xbox Live and be able to take that RAM and that hardware capacity and kind of maximize it a bit, maximize. let's go ahead and let's Ooh. go ahead and add it on there. We're gonna maximize it up here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So obviously the graphical stuff is great, but let's talk about what the true gamers want, Alex. It's not the great graphics. It's not, no one cares about PC. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Not, get no out one of here. at all. Let's talk about no. the gameplay. Players choose from three basic character classes, scout, soldier, or scoundrel at the beginning of the game, and later choose from three Jedi subclasses, guardian, sentinel, or consular. Beyond class, a character has skills, stats, tiered feats, and later on, tiered force powers, similar to magic spells and fantasy games. Feats and force powers are generally unlocked upon level up, while the player is given skill points to distribute among their skills every level. Combat is round-based. Time is divided into discrete rounds, and combatants attack and react simultaneously. Although these actions are presented sequentially on screen, the number of actions a combatant may perform each round is limited. While each round's duration is a fixed short interval of real time, the player can configure the combat system to pause at specific events or the end of each round, or set the combat system to never automatically pause, giving the illusion of real-time combat. Combat actions are calculated using Dungeons & Dragons rules, particularly the D20 system. While these are not displayed directly on the screen, the full breakdown for each action, including die rolls and modifiers, is accessible from a menu. So yeah, taking those ideas they had when they were building out a bunch of Baldur's Gate, and just the idea of taking that pen and paper RPG element and bringing it into the gaming sphere is what they're doing with this. We see it in like, you call it modern games, I guess, but in like XCOM or XCOM 2 where you're taking this round-based combat, you can only move so many steps. And then I know the frustration, because Derek and I talked about this, but when you have like an alien in front of you, you got a 95% chance to hit with your shotgun and you miss, it is that like natural one and like a D&D die that you'd roll to like auto miss on it, unfortunately working in the background. So bringing, like again, bringing that pen and paper to life. And it's smart because this is a tried and true system, right? Mm -hmm. So you know that, yeah, while what's happening on screen visually does not represent the actual role because the the saber might just straight up go through the enemy in front of you, but, you know, you get zero damage. It's still something that I think people can accept 
because it's just the type of game that it is, especially if you're a longtime fantasy games player or a D&D player. Yeah, it brings kind of the best of both worlds into that Star Wars universe and really why it cemented itself as one of the greatest games of all time. I mean, it's not only just this cool combat system that is frustrating at times, I will say that, but it allows a strategy and a cool story and be able to like fully customize your Jedi very similar to like your D&D character would be or any other fantasy character. Bring it into that realm is just so much fun. Now, for much of the game, the player can have up to two companions in their party. These companions will participate in combat. They can be manually controlled by the player or act autonomously if the player does not give them any input. Outside of combat, the companions will randomly engage the player or each other in dialogue, sometimes unlocking additional quests. They will also participate in conversations the player has with other NPCs. Non-combat interaction with other characters in the game world is based upon a dialogue menu system. Following each statement, the player can select from a list of many responses. The dialogue varies based on the gender and skills of the main character, which we do see in further Bioware games that allow you to kind of make that selection, whether you go like, again, in Mass Effect, you want to go more aggressive, you want to go in the nicer route, neutral route, very similar to Dragon Age that can affect, one, how your companions see you, but two, the overall outcome of that conversation. And what's nice Last week we did L.A. Noir, right? And some of the mm-hmm. responses that you would pick, you didn't get to see exactly what it was you were going to say. But in a game that Bioware makes, you see exactly how your player is going to present themselves. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't like any of the options given to you, you at least know ahead of time what it is you're actually saying and what kind of character you want to be. It's much more in line with a true you know, RPG and the other Bioware games. The alignment system tracks actions and speech from simple word choices to major plot decisions to determine whether the player's character aligns with the light or dark side of the force. Generosity and altruism lead to the light side, while selfish or violent actions will lead the player's character to the dark side, which will alter the character's appearance, turning their eyes yellow and their skin pale. In addition to the standard role-playing gameplay, there are several minigame events that come up over the course of the game. The player can participate in swoop racing to earn money, and sometimes interplanetary travel will be interrupted by enemy starfighters, which begins a minigame where the player controls a turret to shoot down the opposing starcraft. The player can also engage in a card game known as Pazak, which is similar to the game of blackjack to gamble money. Now, as we've talked about, Knights of the Republic takes place approximately 4,000 years before the rise of the Galactic Empire and covers the era following the conclusion of the Star Wars Tales of the Jedi comics during the early years of the Galactic Republic. The backstory of the game involves the Mandalorian warrior society invading the Republic in a pan-galactic conflict known as the Mandalorian Wars. The Jedi were hesitant to get involved, but a pair of renegade Jedi knights, Revan and Malak, insist on leading Republic force to war. After winning the war against the Mandalorians, Raven and Malak disappeared into the unknown regions, returning a year later with a Sith armada and launching an invasion against the Republic themselves. Malak, Revan's apprentice, eventually succeeded his former master as Dark Lord of the Sith after Revan was seemingly killed in an ambush by the Jedi. Malak's aggression has left the Jedi scattered and vulnerable. Many Jedi knights have fallen in battle and others have sworn allegiance to Malak. Playable locations in Knights of the Republic include the planets Tatooine, Dantooine, Kashyyyk, Korriban, Manan, Rakata Prime, and Taurus. Aboard the Republic cruiser Endar Spire, and Saul Karath's ship Leviathan, and on the Star Forge Space Station. A space station near Yavan is accessible to players in the PC, Mac OS X, and mobile versions of the game, and is available to Xbox players via download from Xbox Live. Travel between these locations happens aboard the freighter Ebon Hawk, which is also a playable location. So definitely some cool planets there that Star Wars fans will recognize. You know, Tatooine, obviously, for all the Skywalkers, Kashyyyk, you know, with the Wookiees. So some familiarity and also 
an opportunity to sort of start to explore other planets within the system and and what those planets could have in store as well. So joining the player's character's quest are veteran Republic pilot Karth Onasi, the Twi'lek teenager Mission Val, and her Wookiee companion Zalbar, the Jedi Bastila Shan, Grey Jedi Jolie Bindo, utility droid T3M4, Mandalorian mercenary Candrus Ordo, and assassin droid HK-47 if he is bought. Juhani, another Jedi, may also join the party if she is spared by the player. Republic soldier Trask Olgo is also briefly playable during the game's opening sequence on the Endar Spire. The game's main antagonist is Darth Malak, the Dark Lord of the Sith. Other antagonistic characters include Black Volcar gang leader Bregic, crime boss Davik Kang, bounty hunter Kalo Nord, Zalbar's brother Chundar, Sith apprentice Darth Bandon, Admiral Saul Karth, Sith overseer Uthar Wynn, and Rakatan tribe leader The One. Zerka Corporation, an unscrupulous corporation operating on several planets, is an ally of Darth Malak's Sith forces. Supporting characters who assist the player's party in some capacity are Hidden Beck gang leader Gaden Thek, Jedi Masters Vandar Takare and Zar Leston, Game Hunter Comad Fortuna, Zalbar and Chundar's father Freyr, Uthar's Sith apprentice Uthura Ban, Republic representative Roland Wan, and Rakatan tribe The Elders, and Republic Admiral Forn Dodana. So a lot of names, a lot of Star Wars characters. And this is truly what I love about like these type of role-playing games is it's not just some side characters that are just talked about in your action game. You, you get a lot of that history, a lot of that environment of this built into all these cool characters that you meet. Again, reminiscent of that tabletop style of gameplay, of traveling to different areas, having either quest givers or various NPCs that you'll come in contact with that can help or hinder uh, basically how your mission goes. It's very cool. It's definitely cool for the world building aspect as well, Mm -hmm. just to have obviously new characters, but in familiar settings and everyone knows Jedi masters, but you don't see a lot of Jedi masters in the movies. And so things like this, like I said before, they just allow fans of the genre, fans of uh, the IP to sort of explore what are the other possibilities for these organizations and what led to the events in the movies and bonus points if all those things can tie together. Exactly. And I think my favorite part of these style of games is all of those random, non-consequential characters, but that brings so much cool stuff to like the inner workings of you know, like you said, knowing the Jedi Masters and knowing of like the Sith, those are core things we've seen in the movies, we've seen in some of the cartoons, but getting these different gang leaders and getting people that travel with certain aliens or helping in certain ways of different alien planets is such a cool thing to see in the small politics or the large politics of wherever you are. That's for me, that's what I eat up when it comes to world building. Sure, the main stuff is cool, but that random one-off character you made that like helps you do this thing, but has this cool like little backstory to it is just so much fun to have. Yeah, definitely. And whenever there's a callback to stuff like that, or Mm -hmm. even if it's just future implications or a little, I don't know, just something like Jar Jar Binks was a a big part of episode one, right? And people Mm -hmm. did not respond well to Jar Jar Binks, but they still brought him back. He's a political player you know, in those other prequel movies. Just not a big part of it, but you see him again, you recognize him. It's cool to have characters like this where even though they may not have this massive impact on the universe, Mm -hmm. they still tie in. Exactly. So let's talk about the whole overall plot. Like, we have the setting, the characters, but what is happening? The game opens with the player character whose background, gender, appearance, and name are player-determined, awakening aboard a Republic ship, the Endar Spire, which is under attack by Malak's forces over the city world of Taurus. Republic soldier Trask Ulgo soon arrives and informs them that they must abandon ship. Fighting their way to the escape pods, Trask and the players are soon confronted by Sith Lord Darth Bandon, 
With no other options, Trask sacrifices himself while the player continues to make their way to the escape pods. The player meets Karth Onasi, a skilled pilot and Republic war hero, and they escape the doomed warship. Crashing on the surface of Taurus, the player is knocked unconscious, and Karth pulls them away from the wreckage. After suffering a strange vision, the player character awakens in an abandoned apartment with Karth, who explains that Taurus is under martial law by Malak's forces, who are searching for the Jedi Knight, Bastila Shan, known for her mastery of battle meditation, a force technique that strengthens one's allies and weakens one's enemies during battle. Karth and the players search for her and meet new companions along the way, such as the Twi'lek street urchin, Mission Vau, and her Wookiee companion, Zalbar. The group finds and rescues Bastila from the Black Volcar game. With the help of utility droid T3M4 and Mandalorian mercenary Candorus Ordo, the group escapes Taurus aboard the star freighter Ebon Hawk, moments before Malak's fleet decimates the planet's surface in a vain effort to kill Bastila. While taking refuge at the Jedi Academy on Dantooine, the player trains to be a Jedi, discovers a star map, and learns of the Star Forge, the probable source of Malak's military resources. The player and their companions then search planets across the galaxy. Dantooine, Manan, Tatooine, Kashyyyk, and Korriban. For more information about the Star Forge, gaining new companions along the way, such as the Cathar Jedi Juhani, Assassin Droid HK-47, and Grey Jedi Jolie Bindo. After discovering three more star maps, the player party is captured by Darth Malak and brought aboard his flagship, where Malak reveals that the player character is in truth an amnesiac Darth Revan. The Jedi Council wiped their memories after their presumed death at Malak's hands in the hopes that Bastila could lead them to the Starforge through her bond with them. Bastila sacrifices herself so the player can escape and is subsequently turned to the dark side by Malak. On the light side route, the player kills or redeems Bastila, defeats Malak, destroys the Starforge, and is hailed as a savior and hero. On the dark side route, the player allies with Bastila, overthrows and kills Malak, takes control of the Starforge for themselves, and reclaims their title as Dark Lord of the Sith. Misa no likey. Such a cool, such a cool way to wrap up this game in that route, that fable-esque route of going good or bad, and such like a cool badass ending either way. I mean, unfortunately for Malik, but such a cool route to take that influences so much in what you want your character to do. Well, and the Malik ending makes sense because that's such a big mm-hmm. thing with the Sis, that there's always the two and they're always craving power. And, you know, that that's a big Darth Vader plot point. They could overthrow the Emperor, mm-hmm. be the Emperor. He can rule the galaxy with Padme. So it fits right in line with the Star Wars movies and the general oh, yeah. plot points. And I think that that's it's, all it's it needed fantastic. to do. It's, it's, it is. It's such a cool story. And it's, it's such a neat way to kind of Again, explore so many different planets of Star Wars that have been around that haven't been, you know, glassed or blown up yet. <laughs> and to like really dive deep into that lore that was building up and showing that even before the Total Republic was built and had a full standing army, that thousands of years ago, this is still going on. That fight of good and evil, the light and the dark side of the force has always been this combative aspect of all the universes kind of put together. Uh, space travel continues to kind of evolve over the years. Yeah, and no one wants to play the game where all this stuff just happened and you just live a normal life. You want the peaks, right? I want where the -hmm. the light side and the dark side are really going at it together because that's going to be the most fun. If I was just like a farmer on Tatooine, where, I mean, first of all, what's going on there? Because he's a farmer, but they live in the desert. I don't understand. (laughs) Link's uncle. Oh, er, I see. Luke's uncle. I, I see Derek is making a Stardew Valley mod. The old Tatooine farm. <laughs> the Tatooine farm. Stardew Valley, I mean, Stardew uh, is a great name for a farm in the Star Wars universe. You, you might be onto something I there. See. Give me a lightsaber. <laughs> see, I'll I go see. into the mines and <laughs> we, we have something here. Got something there for you. Exactly. Well, let's talk about one of the more 
classic elements of the Star Wars universe, the music and sound, Alex. Absolutely. While the main game, graphics engine, and story were developed by BioWare, LucasArts worked on the game's audio. Knights of the Old Republic contains 300 different characters and 15,000 lines of speech. One complete copy of the Knights of the Old Republic script fills up 10 5-inch binders, voice department manager Dara O'Farrell noted. A cast of around 100 voice actors, including Ed Asner, Raphael Sparge, Ethan Phillips, Jennifer Howe, and Philip Lamar, was assembled. Fortunately, with a game this size, it's easy to have an actor play a few different characters and scatter those parts throughout the game, so you'll never notice it's the same actor you heard earlier. Voice production started six months before the game's beta release. The voice production team were given the script 90% complete to work with. There were a few changes made during recording, but most of the remaining 10% will be dealt with in our pickup session, O'Farrell said. The pickup session is right at the end of the project, where we catch performance issues, tutorial lines, verbal hints, and anything else that we might have overlooked. A game the size of Knights of the Old Republic would typically take seven weeks to record. Two weeks of recording all day and all night meant LucasArts was able to record all voices in five weeks. Actors were recorded one at a time, as the non-linear nature of the game meant it was too complicated and expensive to record more than one actor at a time. Most of the dialogue recorded was spoken in Galactic Basic, represented by English. However, around a tenth of the script was written in Huttese. Mike Gallo used Bent Burt's Star Wars Galactic Phrasebook and Travel Guide to translate English into Huttese. The key to recording alien dialogue is casting the right actor for the part, O'Farrell said. Over the years, I've had actors take to Huttese like a fish to water, but the opposite is also true. In the past, I've had to line read when an actor copies my performance, 150 plus Hatties lines to an actor in order to make it work. That's a little goofy. Right, Alex? Uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's, again, it's a made-up language, so I get why some people don't get to it. But to be like, no, some people can do it, but honestly, like, I just have to line read everything for them. It's just it's what I do. I'm basically a Star Wars hut myself. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that accent was, but it was, that was good. Uh, that would <laughs> that would be a uh, good old O'Farrell. That's that's I've I've spoken to them many a times about this, and they are uh, they talk like this when they're talking about their hot <laughs> You sound like Gabe from The Office. Um, well, that's probably that's probably him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting because yeah, the idea of creating this this language and obviously having consistencies, and I know that there's a lot of work that goes into making things like that. I, I do wonder a little bit. Obviously, it's better than just making random sounds and grunts all the time. That would yeah. feel out of place. And so you want some consistency there. But but yeah, just an, an interesting thought that they went through the the whole process of actually translating English words into this fake language. Yeah. Award-winning composer Jeremy Soule was signed to compose the game's score. Quote, it will be a Star Wars score, but it will be all original and probably the things that will remain will be the Force themes and things like that. Soul was unable to write a full orchestral score for Knights of the Old Republic due to technical limitations. Quote, at the time, we only had an 8 megabit per second MIDI system. That was state-of-the-art. I had to fool people into thinking they were hearing a full orchestra. I'd write woodwinds and drums or woodwinds, horns and drums, or strings and drums and brass. I couldn't run the whole orchestra at once. It was impossible. And that's a really interesting element as well, because MIDI obviously gives composers a, a lot at their disposal to put into these games and especially to not have to go through the digital conversion process because it's all being run through the computer mm -hmm. system. But yeah, when you're limited by that kind of memory, the Star Wars films have these great scores, you know, the original ones done by John Williams, who's a very famous, who's a very famous composer. And so you don't want to go into a Star Wars game and give this really like low quality, overly simplistic score. You want it to feel like you're in the Star Wars universe, 
which has already kind of been established. So that's a really difficult thing to do. Yeah. And, and being so limited, and like you said, like, hey, for the movies, we're going to have an entire orchestra and we're going to record in this huge, beautiful, like symphonic hall to get all these sounds that we need. And yet here's you at your computer trying to pull this together kind of by yourself and setting this over here and then combining it with this track. And it worked. It's just tough when you're compressing it that much for like an older game like this. And especially to be trying to do that 20 years ago. I mean, the technology, mm-hmm. obviously, the the memory and what you can fit into a game has grown exponentially. But having those technical limitations on the end, as well as the technical limitations of what you could really do in the MIDI systems, I, I mean, credit to him for being able to to pull it off. Yeah. And unfortunately, that had some issues, and so did the release itself. When announced at E3 2001, Knights of the Old Republic was initially scheduled for a late 2002 release. In August 2002, it was announced on the game's forums that its release had been delayed. The Xbox version was to be released in spring 2003, and the PC version in summer. A further delay was announced in January 2003, with both versions of the game expected to be released in the fall. Zeshik attributed the delay to Bioware's focus on quality, stating, Our goal is to always deliver a top-notch gameplay experience. And sometimes, it can be very difficult to excel in all areas. We keep working on tackling each individual issue until we feel we've accomplished something special. The Xbox version of Knights of the Old Republic went gold on July 9th, 2003, with a release date of July. So, beating that fall idea coming out in kind of midsummer. It sold 250,000 copies in the first four days of its release, making Knights of the Old Republic the fastest-selling Xbox game at the time. Following the game's release, it was announced that free DLC would be available through Xbox Live at the end of the year. The PC version of the game went gold on November 11th, 2003, and was released on November 18th. It was re-released as part of the Star Wars The Best of PC collection in 2006. Now, the game was ported to Mac OS X by Aspire and released in North America on September 7th, 2004, and re-released digitally on Steam on May 14th, 2012 for Mac and PC. The game was released for the iPad on May 30th, 2013. The iPad version includes the Yavin Station DLC that was previously released for Xbox and PC. The game was released as a DRM-free download on GOG.com in October 2014. And the game was launched on Android's Google Play Store on December 22nd, 2014 as well. And in October of 2017, Microsoft made the Xbox One console backwards compatible with the Xbox version of the game as part of a 13-game curated catalog. And finally, on November 11th, 2021, just a little bit ago, a Nintendo Switch version was released. So, no excuse not to play this game anymore. It's very widely available. And it has a long-lasting legacy. In 2007, the plot twist in KOTOR was ranked number two in Game Informer's list of the top 10 video game plot twists of all time and number 10 on ScrewAttack's top 10 OMG WTF moments. The game is also part of the Xbox Platinum Series Classics for sales in excess of 1 million units. The LA Times listed Knights of the Old Republic as one of the most influential works of the Star Wars Expanded Universe. In 2010, Game Informer named the game the 54th best game on their top 200 games of all time list. In November 2012, Time named it one of the 100 greatest video games of all time. In early 2017, plot elements from the game were referenced in the animated TV series Star Wars Rebels, such as the Mandalorian Wars and the ancient Sith planet Malachor. Additionally, Darth Raven was set to appear in the Ghost of Mortis arc in Star Wars The Clone Wars. While this was cut, the deleted scene of Darth Raven was later released. In 2019, Kathleen Kennedy stated that Lucasfilm was looking into developing movies or television series in the Knights of the Old Republic era, but that no plans had yet been made. BuzzFeed News reports that Leda Caligridis will write a Star Wars movie that's based on the Knights of the Old Republic video game series. Leda Caligridis could be a character 
in Star Wars. I know. I was kind of confused at that point. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, The Visual Dictionary, a book guide to the 2019 film Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, contained a reference in which one of the legions of Sith troopers of Palpatine's final order is named after Darth Raven. So definitely some fringe lasting, I'll say, some fringe lasting things. And that's what a lot of extra Star Wars stuff is, getting those little fringe names in there, little aspects of it. And the Clone Wars, the the cartoon, has done amazing work with bringing those characters from just a couple different eras or bringing in a lot of those plot points or ideas from expanded universe and making it really cool. Now, one of the biggest things, and it's really the reason why this like KOTOR um, has been brought up in people's minds again, is the idea of this remake. So in September of 2021, Knights of the Old Republic remake, a graphically updated remake of the original game, was announced as in development by Aspire in collaboration with Sony Interactive Entertainment for Microsoft Windows and PlayStation 5. It will be a timed console exclusive for the PS5 before releasing on other platforms. On the remake's development, lead producer Ryan Treadwell wrote, quote, We're rebuilding it from the ground up, with the latest tech to match the groundbreaking standard of innovation established by the original all while staying true to its revered story. Several individuals who worked on the original game are returning for the remake, such as former Bioware developers and Jennifer Hale reprising her role as Bastilla. However, certain original cast members have since deceased or will not be returning, such as Tom Kane, who has retired due to medical reasons. Kotaku reported that, quote, news of the project began leaking out earlier this year on social media and was later confirmed by former Kotaku news editor Jason Schreier. There has been speculation that the remake will actually include parts of both KOTOR 1 and 2 and also establish some of the lore from those games in the official Star Wars canon, something Disney seems keen on as spinoffs after spinoff after spinoff of Star Wars projects leak into new books, TV shows, movies, and games. I think you, uh, I think you forgot a few spinoffs there. Oh, I did. I did. Uh, the spinoffs of them and there and that and, and all the other ones that are coming off. Uh, Disney's definitely milking what Lucasfilms and LucasArts has for as much as they can. But little information has otherwise been revealed about the project. But in July of 2022... Bloomberg reported that the remake had been, quote, delayed indefinitely after Aspire abruptly fired the game's art director and design director. Bloomberg stated this occurred after the vertical slice demo was shown to production partners Sony and Lucasfilm. Aspire studio head put the project on hold as the demo gameplay, quote, wasn't where they wanted it to be, according to two people who were in the meeting. The remake may not be released until 2025 per Bloomberg sources, instead of its intended 2022 release. And we definitely talked about that when it occurred in one of our post-show episodes around the mm-hmm. time. And I mean, obviously it didn't look great. It's kind of hard to get that deep into a project. And if I remember correctly, Sony was just really, really upset with the visuals of, of that yeah. entire game. And I mean... That's pretty much the only thing that's holding back KOTOR right now, I think, for new players, is that it is such a dated look. So if you can't, you know, improve enough upon that to warrant a re-release, then, yeah, it's unfortunate that it gets delayed, but I'd rather have a a true remake. Yeah, I mean, I would totally agree. I mean, when you're tantalized with it, it's like, do I go and play the old games, which have more of a nostalgic hit for you and I? kind of growing up in that era, but if you're a younger kid or somebody who's never played, it is pretty dated. You know, and it's like, oh, I'll just wait until this comes out. So, unfortunately, it's put on hold. The hope is that maybe in a year or so, we get some more information, we get some updates on what Aspire's up to with it, because it is a property that I think would do really well. And so the hope is, if they're able to get this on track and get to where they want to be, that maybe we do see something. In a year's time or so. We'll probably get it on like the Xbox Infinity or whatever the next one is. <laughs> yeah. That new gen coming out soon after they've only sold about 100 units. Yeah. About that. <laughs> only made and sold. 
After its release on July 15, 2003, the first Xbox shipment of Knights of the Old Republic sold out within four days on shelves, which amounted to 250,000 sales during that period. This made it the console's fastest ever seller at the time of its launch. The game ultimately sold 270,000 copies in its initial two weeks. It was ranked by the NPD group as the second best-selling console games of its debut month across all platforms. It fell to the eighth position on MPD's sales chart for August and was absent by September. Worldwide sales reached 600,000 copies by October. In the United States alone, the Xbox version of Knights of the Old Republic sold 1.3 million copies and earned $44 million by July 2006. It also received a Silver Sales Award from the Entertainment and Leisure Software Publishers Association, indicating sales of at least 100,000 copies in the United Kingdom. Following its launch in November 2003, the computer version of Knights became the third best-selling computer game of its debut week, according to MPD, although it dropped out of MPD's weekly top 10 by its third week. It claimed 6th place in computer game sales for November overall and 9th for December. It returned to the weekly top 10 during the December 28th through January 3rd period, but was absent again on the next week's chart. So everyone getting those sweet gift cards in, making it good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. NPD ultimately declared it the 17th best-selling computer game of 2004. By August 2006, the computer version had sold 470,000 copies, and earned $14.7 million in the United States alone. Edge ranked it as the country's 32nd best-selling computer game released between January 2000 and August 2006. Total sales of the game's Xbox and computer releases surpassed 2 million copies by February 2005 and 2.5 million by May and reached nearly 3 million by March 2006. As of 2007, Knights of the Old Republic had sold 3.2 million units. And Star Wars Knights of the Republic received universal acclaim as we've pretty much praised it throughout this, according to Metacritic, and won numerous awards, including Game Developer's Choice Awards 2004 Game of the Year, BAFTA Game Awards Best Xbox Game of the Year, and Interactive Achievement Awards for Best Console RPG and Best Computer RPG. GameSpot named it the best Xbox game of July 2003 and best computer game of November 2003. KOTOR has seen success as the game of the year from many sources, including IGN, Computer Gaming World, PC Gamer, GMR, the Game Developers Choice Awards, Xbox Magazine, and G4. Computer Games Magazine named it the best computer game of 2003 and presented it with awards for best original music and best writing. The editors wrote, quote, the elegance and accessibility that BioWare made part and parcel of this game should be the future standard for this genre. According to Metacritic, the PC version received an average score of 93 out of 100 based on 33 reviews. In total, the game has won over 40 Game of the Year awards from various publications. Interactive Achievement Awards awarded it for Best Story and Best Character Development, IGN gave KOTOR additional awards in Best Sound in the Xbox category, Best Story in the PC category, Xbox RPG of the Year in 2003, PC RPG of the Year 2003, Xbox Game of the Year, and PC Game of the Year, and then overall Game of the Year. So IGN was like, okay, here's the thing. We got a lot of Game of the Year categories and very specific things. Let's give them <laughs> 10 of those. So it just won everything. In 2007, IGN listed it as the 27th out of 100 best games of all time. In 2010, IGN placed the game on number three of its best games of the decade, beaten by only Shadow of the Colossus and Half-Life 2. And little fun fact, our boy, HK47, won the category for Best Original Game Character of the Year at the 2004 Game Developers Choice Awards. So there's so much to say in terms of sales, which were great, but just how, how much this changed the landscape of RPGs, especially console RPGs. RPGs were always sought after for PC gamers. You can control more in the menus. You could do more with a mouse and keyboard, especially like having hotkeys versus a controller. 
and having that graphic fidelity and having the amount of memory to play those games. And this shifted that landscape, especially for quote unquote serious gamers that weren't playing necessarily like a Paper Mario or something that had an RPG element to it, but taking on the seriousness of it. So it definitely took that from it, which is awesome. As a serious Paper Mario gamer, I resent that remark. <laughs> Listen, it had to be what it had to be. I had to say what I had to say. But Derek, <laughs> we're coming to a close. As always, let the people know why did we choose Nice Little Republic and what do we think of it? I mean, IGN said it best. Best sound for Xbox, best story for PCs, Xbox RPGs, PC RPG, mm-hmm, Game of the mm-hmm. Years. Yeah. Game of the Year, RPG of the Year specifically. I mean, hey, it's done it all. <laughs> <laughs> um, coolest name of sound designer, I'm sure, should be in there as well. <laughs> Coolest names of all the characters. Had a lot of fun trying to pronounce all those. So really great. (laughs) But on a more serious note, I I think that you nailed it with console RPGs, especially ones that are a little bit tactical, Mm -hmm. that use those tactical elements, hadn't really been successful on console just for the sheer fact that it is difficult to get into all those menus and it slows everything down. And console gaming is a lot about quick reactions and using the control sticks to uh, move around instead of the arrow keys. And it's a little bit more like free form. And so a game that involves those calculated technical things just didn't really work all that great. Um, What's great about the Bioware's takes on RPG games on console is that They're simple enough to where you could sort of pre-program a lot of what you want all of your teammates to be doing. You know, that's why I really loved Dragon Age when it came out, because I felt like I could set and forget some of the things going on within the battle sequences. And, you know, Knights of the Old Republic sort of paved the way for that style of gameplay on consoles. So a lot of fun. I think the Star Wars universe is great. They did so many cool experimental mm-hmm. Star Wars games around this era. You know, you had like Jedi Academy. You had um, like the Rogue Squadron games where you were basically playing as a, a star pilot. You know, you had all these different Star Wars games coming out at that, I don't want to say peak Star Wars time, but that resurgence because of the prequel movies. and. I really wish that those games had just been made like in the more modern era because I think that there's so much potential in games like this mm-hmm. to be highly, highly successful in the on the next generation consoles. And obviously this game was very successful for the time that it came out. But I'm very hopeful for the the remake. And I hope that they are able to complete that and complete it the way that they really want it to look and play and feel, because I think that it'll be a smash hit. So for me, this game is probably like an 8 out of 10. I think that giving it that rating, I'm thinking of it more in like the era in which it was released, because while to a lot of people, yes, this game does hold up very well, there are other options now that Bioware themselves have release that I think still scratch the itch of RPG and I would rather play those myself so that's my minus two what about you? Yeah KOTOR set the precedent for so much of Bioware. I mean it, it kind of paved the way obviously with Baldur's Gate and we still see Baldur's Gate coming out with just some different development but this I think for mainstream bringing that fantasy aspect and using a very very familiar IP of people at the time of Star Wars and allowing them to then take that formula they've built and then bring it to their new fantasy and sci-fi realm that kind of coexist in both Dragon Age and in Mass Effect really set them up for success and set up the success of those styles of RPGs, especially in the console market. Like I said, PC market ruled so much of that, even just back to the text-based adventures where you would kind of choose your own adventure stuff through uh, like DOS. 
you had things like that already on PC for a long time, it took a lot to perfect the idea of a true hardcore RPG onto the console. And this did it. And it continued to do it into KOTOR 2 and even in Knights of the Old Republic. Really, this game cemented that. So if I had to give it a rating, I would give it probably probably the purple lightsaber. I mean, that's really what I went with. And that's the rating I can give it because I needed to track down my crystals to change up my lightsaber to get it to be the color I wanted because I didn't want to know boring red, blue, or green. Like, those are just the regular people's. I need the Mace Windu aspect of it. Like, that's <laughs> the only true lightsaber in my opinion. And that's what I wanted out of 10. Yeah, somehow by the time that I got to actually choose, mm-hmm. you know, the lightsaber colors and all these various games, I just kind of wanted the green. Green's all right. I Or the blue uh, or the red again. I was like, because I'd have the purple one. I'd be like, uh, purple. Purple stands uh, for power and position and panache. Blue stands for boring. Red stands for roaring. Green stands for growing. <laughs> I do... I do think the blue is, is kind of boring. Yeah, yeah, you're boring. But green and red, pretty awesome. I'll take it. Classic, classic Darth Vader versus Luke battle. Mm-hmm. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker. The intro and outro music was composed and recorded by our friend Evan Barr. And our podcast artwork was given to us by Aaron Shattuck. And if you didn't know, this episode was selected by the Patrons, the patrons, made our selection for this month of Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. So if you want to check out our Patreon, you can at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have plenty of digital and physical rewards, as well as some polls and some discussions going on over there. And I want to thank some select members today with Sky the Bear, Duststorm, Mr. Choff, Snide T-Bird, that LL Gamer Guy, Nick Hyman, McChief, Climbing Spork, Mr. 1898, Kirby Spicy, Lee Tom Jean, Keller Kane, and Brian Yost. Thank you all so much for your support. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, drop us a review. We love hearing from you guys, and it helps us out a lot. As always, you can check us out over on Twitch. You can see me at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's twitch.tv slash sourman70, as well as Derek over at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're also on Discord. It's free to join, and Alex and I are hanging out in there all the time, and we'd love to see you. That has been our coverage of Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic. Have you had a chance to play it? What is your opinion of the transition of pen and paper to digital? Do you see that integrating well, or is that something that really grinds your gears? Let us know on all of our social channels. As always, I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Dara O'Farrell. And this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast.